Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. And that's when I made a decision. I left myself a voice note. And I said, in 365 days, my environment's going to be different. My business is going to be different. I'm going to be in a new and thriving relationship. I declared a vision, but I had no idea what to do next. Go get your breakthrough. Honor the breakthrough. But to honor it means to integrate it. If you have an area of your life that is triggering you every single day and causing you emotional drama, emotional intensity, I say good. I say good because what if it was two notches lower and that wasn't enough for you to make a new committed decision? What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today's guest is Tommy Baker. I heard about Tommy through a mutual friend, Mike Zeller, who's also been a guest on the show. And he said, you know, look, you two would really hit it off. You're both from New York. You're working on similar projects. Uh, Check them out. So the more I looked into him, the more interested I became, and I knew I had to have him on the show. Here's the way I look at this. We all want to maximize our business and put more play into the things that we love to do, right? And Tommy really lives his life this way. He made a decision to leave New York City and move to Phoenix, Arizona, because that's where his heart called him. And he's now creating his life's work out there with the Resist Average Coaching Academy. We dug deep in the episode on the nuts and bolts of really how to make measurable change in your life. I think he really delivered in the interview, and I took a ton of notes, and I think you will too. In this conversation, we talk about everything from the key ingredients to to executing your vision, how to hit the reset button and totally reboot your life the way you want it, and what it was like for him growing up in Colombia. You can find Tommy on the socials at Tommy underscore resist average. Be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and Tommy and let us know what you thought of the episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Tommy Baker. Tommy, welcome to the show. Rob, so excited to be here and thank you for having me. Love what you're doing. You got it, man. I'm super excited that you're here. You know, you fall into the category of, um, we have six degrees of separation. I was looking at the people that you've interviewed and uh, it's much of the same people I've interviewed. So it's one of those things where how have we not met each other yet? That's what I was thinking, my man, but uh, (laughs) better late than never. And now it's time to create magic. You got it. Okay. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to start from the very beginning because I believe that where you were born really informs a lot about who you are. So I believe if I did my research properly, you were born in Colombia. Is that right? Absolutely. And thank you for doing such diligence. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I've actually been to Colombia. I'm one of, I think me and three other people in America have actually been to Colombia. (laughs) Did you go to Bogota or where? (laughs) No. And I love how you say Bogota. (laughs) No, I went to Cartagena. I went to Cartagena for uh, for New Year's Eve 
Every year, we always try and pick a unique and different place to go to that really celebrates New Year's in a big way. One year, we've done uh, you know, Rio. This past year, we did South Africa, Cape Town. So I'm always looking for something new and exciting. So uh, Cartagena came up one year, and we went, and we just absolutely fell in love with the country. I'm going to guess you didn't get eight hours of sleep that night. I think I'm still hungover. I mean, <laughs> they go all night, <laughs> all morning. They go all night. More than going all night, I'll tell you what's amazing about it. And this is probably just, you know, nothing special to you, but <laughs> watching three year olds like salsa and merengue at three o'clock in the morning is a really weird experience. I mean, we just don't have that here. It's a whole family affair. It's the, the three year olds and the grandmothers and anything in between. And, and the culture is just so entrenched in them. And it's, uh, it's, it's beautiful how they celebrate, but specifically in Latin America and Colombia, they love life. They have some of the harshest circumstances. It's nearly impossible to have class movement, class mobility, and they are so genuine and they absolutely love life. Yeah, I mean, it's really incredible. So I want to talk a little bit about that because I am interested in it. How is it different from your perspective growing up in Colombia versus versus the United States? And, and what years did you come here? Absolutely. And so it's it's a mishmash because we went back and forth so many times. Um, but up, in, up until I was 25, it was basically a, a perfect 50-50 split in two to three year increments. The biggest lesson that I was given was the power of perspective. Uh, because down there, it's very common to stop at a stoplight and see somebody who's completely amputated all, you know, both legs, both arms. That's very common. It's common to see uh, guerrilla and paramilitary and all of this stuff. My uncle uh, lost his life in a explosion in a country club. So these things at a young age to see that and see also the contrast, I had a deeper appreciation for, hey, this is just one reality in the States. There's another life out there and other people don't have it as easy as we do. So that was the first gift that gave me was perspective and gratitude. Yeah, I mean, abs absolutely um, amazing. What year did you come to the States? For the first time when I was five and then I went back uh, to Colombia from about seven to 10 and then back and forth kind of to two to three year increments. And uh, it was really hard, Rob, because just the difference of culture, it wasn't like we were moving from St. Louis to Florida or something. It was just the culture was so different and, and just the kids grew up so differently. So sometimes, man, I'd hit a home run. I'd get there. I'd connect. I'd feel amazing. I'd feel part of the culture and the circle. Other times felt like a total loner, but it also, it gave me that through that challenge, I found the gift. I found the gift of, you know, falling in love with spending time alone and being okay with being an outsider and maybe misunderstood or not understanding the culture and all of that stuff. And so in the time it was like, we'd get ripped apart and me and my siblings, we'd be crying for hours and days, but we can look back. And I also got the gift of really growing up truly bilingual. I can go to Columbia right now and fit in. I can come to the States and fit in. And, uh, and that's been a beautiful gift. What were the circumstances that, uh, that led you to kind of go back and forth so often? Yeah, just my dad's, my dad's job. He was, uh, you know, in the, in the financial services industry, but the focus was Latin America. So one time they wanted him there. One time they wanted him in the States at their corporate office. And it was just kind of this back and forth, back and forth. Never any, we, we always knew when we got somewhere, we were only you know, 18 months from, from leaving again. So you never really got that moment to feel too comfortable. 
does that give you the itch to feel like, you know, I'm in this place for, you know, I'm living here in Arizona, I'm here for, you know, a couple of years and it's time for me to move on? Or is it the opposite where you're just so sick and tired of bouncing around that you just want to stay put? You know, it, it definitely, I do get a little cabin fever when I've been in a place for a little while. Um, ultimately, when I came back to New York, just I needed a change. And the change actually ended up being, I wanted to go to the West Coast, but I ended up being in Arizona. But, you know, it, it's such a double-edged sword, right? Because you get the power of perspective. You get the, the the power of seeing how different people live life in different ways. But it's also nice to have a home base. So for me, it's kind of a, a mixture of both. Ultimately, what I want to do is have a, a nice, steady home base, but have the flexibility and the opportunity and the access to be able to see different parts of the world. The thing is, you know, people ask me, what's the number one self-development tool? And I always say, Go travel. And if you can, travel alone to a culture that is unfamiliar to it. Because you learn real quick how to be humble. You learn real quick how to have perspective. You learn real quick how to harness some of the communication skills that are going to help you uh, for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, give me give me somebody who is traveled um, over somebody who graduated Harvard, and I'll take the uh, the traveler any day of the week. Absolutely. They have to learn how to adapt. They have to learn how to communicate and be humble and look dumb and all of the stuff that really builds character. All right. So let's let's go down the lane today of personal development and coaching strategies because you fall into the category of a high performance coach. And I what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend some time today giving people some really useful tactics that they can test drive for themselves to make 2018 the best year of their life. A hundred percent. Let's do it. And I just want to acknowledge you for doing your research because uh, I hadn't been asked or rarely, I'm the one who brings up the stuff from Columbia. So I just, as a fellow podcaster who also prides himself on doing immersive research, I just want to say great job, Rob. Yeah, man, you got it. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to do it because it gives, it gives perspective. Otherwise, then all we do is keep recycling the same podcast over exactly. and over again. And, you know, so I'd like to start by rewinding the clock uh, back to 2015. Can you tell me the story of standing on an icy cold football field and you know making the decision to create a new life and ripping out everything and starting over fresh? So my first true passion in life was fitness. And it was fitness not just for the physical quest, it was for the spiritual quest, the mental and emotional quest. And what I mean by that, Rob, is simple. I wanted to know who I was when things got hard. And so physical training was the easiest access point to manufacture a hard environment of chaos and uncertainty for me to really let me know, like, who am I when life gets hard? Who am I when my lungs and legs are bleeding and screaming to stop? How do I show up in that place? And so that was my initial passion. And so I built a couple gyms, had a successful gym business, but I outgrew my purpose and my passion at that point. And I believe that we have these kind of evolutions of our, of our purpose. And um, sometimes the vehicle fits perfectly. And so my vehicle was fitness, was physical transformation. But as I said earlier, for me, it was the spiritual quest, the transformational quest that happens between the ears and your mind, body, and spirit. And so I was almost like five layers deep. And it was really interesting because I had a staff of 15. And so, you know, I'd get on these kind of rants with my clients and do these events and go so deep into this world. And half the people were like, this is awesome. I want more of this. Half were like, dude, can you just talk about how we can get 
stronger and fitter and not go into this whole crazy realm. But that's when I realized that it was time to shift, that my vehicle no longer served me at the highest capacity. And Rob, it's really easy to tell somebody, hey, you know, my job sucks. I've been here for 10 years. I want to move on. People understand that. What's harder is when you tell people and you declare what your purpose and passion is and you grow something that is highly uh, meaningful to you, but then you say, it's time to move on. And on that night, it was New Year's Eve um, in New York City. I'm in a dinner. I was there, but I wasn't there. We've all had this where we're in one place, but our mind is somebody else. I excused myself. I started walking and walking and walking. This is existential walking. Something's missing. Something has to change. And I go to this field and that's when I made a decision. I left myself a voice note and I said in 365 days, my environment's going to be different. My business is going to be different. I'm going to be in a new and thriving relationship. And I let, I declared a vision, but Rob, I had no idea what to do next. So really just declaring the vision was step one. Sometimes it's better, I I find, and you can tell me your thoughts on this, but sometimes it's better to at least as step one, talk about what you don't want because then all you got to do is flip it around to what you do want. Yeah. And both, both work. Right. And it's like, and I, I knew there was components of my life and like, to be honest, it, I was in a, in a decent place, but, but, but I started to look down the line, Rob, I said, man, five years, if I continue this in five years, an environment plays such a big part in who you and I become. And listen, I love the Northeast and all that stuff, but I'm a fiery guy. There's so much competition there. There's so much looking over the shoulder. All my social circle, you know, I'm always hanging out with people 5, 10, 15 years uh, older than me. They just weren't in this fulfilled place. They had the toys, they had the lifestyle, they had the stuff, but something was missing. And I just felt like if I didn't make that decision on that night, that my window would close and I would anchor myself. And I think back, hey, you knew that you had to make a change, but you didn't have the courage to do it because you didn't know how. So you were in New York, New York, like Manhattan. For a while, yes. Okay. I grew up in Queens, so I, I have a, a strong sense for what you're talking about. Um, and I also am working on getting my tail out to the West Coast, which we'll, we'll talk about when we get to kind of the environment section later down the road. But Sure. Why do you think some people seem to achieve massive success and others seem like, you know, they can't hit their ass with both hands? What's the difference between the two of them? Really what it comes down to, uh, to me is, is the, what I call the three C's and it's super simple. And the three C's are clarity. If I go out here in Scottsdale right now and I grab somebody and ask them, so where are you going this year? Where do you want to be in five years? They won't be able to tell me with crystal clear clarity. They won't be able to specifically tell me exactly the things that they want to create. So clarity is number one. Two, it's consistency. Once we have clarity, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to get clear once. I'm going to go to Tony Robbins once and I'm going to have this awakening moment. But you and I know clarity is a daily practice. So we need consistent with that clarity and we need to match behaviors around that. And lastly, when you do the first two long enough, you build certainty. And certainty is just a self-trust, a self-reliance in who you are what's important to you and where you're headed. And you combine these three. And to me, it's, it's just a knowing that it's a matter of time. So all of your dreams, aspirations, visions, whatever you want to call them, start coming to life. So why then do you think that some people, you know, do those three C's, they get excited 
And, you know, it's like a warm bath, you know, they feel great. It's, you know, New Year's Eve and they're, they're pumped about it. And we're, we're going to get into your, uh, your anti book, your anti New Year's resolution in a minute, the unresolution. Why do you think it is that some people just get, you know, super excited about something, they get clear about it. And one guy is on fire, tearing up the trails and accomplishing it. And the other one peaks and then crashes and is right back where they were. We love Breakthrough Rob. We love experiencing breakthrough in life. We love experiencing life-changing insight. We love when our pattern breaks. Now, sometimes we don't love it. Sometimes it happens from a crisis moment. Sometimes it happens from an on-your-knees-the moment. But there's this breakthrough period that happens in life. What I've noticed is we get this massive emotional hit, this dopamine hit, this brain chemical hit, and it feels so powerful. But then we come back to our reality. And what we lack is a integration piece to that breakthrough. Because insight never changes behavior. Behavior changes behavior. That's why we can have people who have the insight. Their doctor says, hey, you have lung cancer. You need to stop smoking today. And what do they keep doing? They keep smoking. Why? Because the insight didn't change the behavior. The breakthrough didn't change the behavior. The knowing that our business is breaking down doesn't change the behavior. And so what I teach is for people to, yeah, go get your breakthrough. Love the breakthrough. Honor the breakthrough. But to honor it means to integrate it. And so I coach people when, hey, when you go to, I just had a client, he went to a Tony Robbins UPW event. I said, man, go all in, set an intention. When you get back to your wife, do not mention one takeaway from the event. And he's like, why, man? He's like, I'm going to, I want to tell her everything. It was amazing. This is going to be amazing. And I said, dude, show her by who you are. Show her by how you integrate it. So to answer your question, it's really a matter of integration. But the breakthrough is usually sexy, Rob, at least when you go seek it in an event or breakthrough coach, whatever. The integration, that's the unsexy process that most people don't endure long enough with. All right, so let's let's break that down a little bit. So we've got the breakthrough, and I'm assuming that the analogy of the breakthrough is, I went to Tony Robbins, I'm pumped up, I just walked on fire, woohoo, I broke through. Is that right? Yeah. All right, so now... I'm a little bit confused, um, I think, maybe not, but I'm a little bit confused potentially between insight and integration. Is the integration the part where you turn it into a habit and it becomes part of who you are, i.e. your identity? or And does does insight come prior to integration? Yes. So insight comes prior to integration in most cases. And you're absolutely right. The way that we integrate is by looking, taking inventory of our patterns, our routines, our habits, our mindsets, the media we consume, the relationships, what we drink, what we eat, all of that stuff. And we uh, begin to make changes and begin to make changes that endure. And this is the process of knowing to doing. So that's the first step of integration. We go from knowing something. We know, we know we can change our emotional state at any moment, like my client just told me. Okay, awesome. What are you going to do about it on a Tuesday morning when you slept four hours, you had an argument with your wife, the dog is going crazy, and there's total chaos in your life. What are you going to do in that case? Okay, great. We got that. Be consistent with that. And then there's this brilliant moment, and you and I can't predict it. We can't manufacture it, but there's a moment when we last long enough, and maybe it's that 66-day you know, habit integration period, but it's when we go from knowing to doing and to actually being. And that's the final step of the integration process. We become 
the principles that we learned. And how do we become it? We simply live it and we live it by doing it every single day. And then you can't look back and go the other way. And then it's like, and then you know, it's like you can never do it, right? You might talk yourself out. You might have, you know, you, moments where you want to go back, but you know, because it's, it's it, fundamentally it changed who you are. And that's the powerful moment of integration. All right. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the core principles, mindsets, habits, rituals of people who actually, who actually execute and those who don't. What, are the, what does that look like? Like, who's the guy when you look and go like, this guy's going to execute? You know why he's going to execute? Because he's got these principles, these mindsets, these habits, these rituals. Give me some color on that. You know, one of the first ones that I look for is I call it just creating inspiration and creating momentum instead of waiting for it. And so to me, the novice, the beginner sits around waiting to be inspired. They look in their external environment to go on YouTube and watch a Gary Vee video or sit on the couch or on the road trip and get a business idea. And they're always just seeking that external you know, trigger to get them going. And to me, the professional, when I say the professional, he or she creates inspiration understands that we can create emotional states out of thin air. We can change emotional states. And so one of the principles that really differentiates people is that they create their inspiration and their fire instead of waiting for it. And Rob, you and I know if we feel inspired, if we feel open, if we feel excited about life, we are much more likely to follow through on the things that we want to do, just plain and simple. So that's one of the first ones. And the second, which I detail in the book, is that I've noticed that high achievers, high performers, they place their self-esteem around the process. And it sounds kind of weird, like place a self-esteem around the process. Wouldn't we want to place our self-esteem around the big outcome, the Hollywood moment, the $10 million business sale, et cetera, et cetera? And the answer is no. Because we know that those fundamentally don't change who we are. We've all experienced a massive moment. You know, I remember my biggest revenue day in business they came and I got the check and then I was, I was kind of hollow afterwards because I thought that that would change me. And what I realized, it was the process that changed me. So that's the second thing. If we can place our self-esteem around the daily processes, the daily commitments in line with those outcomes, we will not only achieve more than we ever believed, we'll be deeply, deeply fulfilled. And the last one, Rob, is a matter of emotional intelligence, understanding who you really are. And it's very easy for us to judge ourselves. Hey, I, I'm not feeling that good right now. I'm, I'm feeling flat. I'm feeling a little depressed, anxiety. And then we judge ourselves and that puts us out of action. That takes us away from production. And so the third thing is having a deep-rooted emotional intelligence to understand that you and I are human. We're going to experience massive amounts of inspiration and joy and love, et cetera, et cetera. And on the same token, we're going to experience moments of doubt, uncertainty, chaos. And what separates high performers is they're able to take what one may consider a negative emotional state, although I don't like placing labels on emotional states because they're just being human, and actually turn that into production and continue to move closer to their vision regardless of thoughts, feelings, actions, moods, or low emotional states. And those, those three things, to me, out of all the conversations I've had, all the coaching I've done on both sides, masterminds, events, those are three huge principles. So what is the difference for you between emotional intelligence and awareness? You know, Gary Vee, uh, you referenced before, talks a lot about awareness. Like he's, you know, he's, a, he's very aware that he's super intense, slightly annoying, pushy, 
you know, a little maybe arrogant, like he, he'll be the first one to call himself out on it. Is emotional intelligence and awareness of who you are sort of the same thing or are they different to you? Yeah, I think you could replace both of those and really I, I just compare it to a signaling system, Rob. And men are particularly bad at their signaling system just because we don't have the same practice that traditionally women have. You know, for example, I like to say for most men, their internal signal, signal system for you know, their emotions or how they're feeling, it's like a dial-up connection. We don't really understand. That's why we can be in an argument in a relationship and three days later we have the insight, oh, that's what I was feeling. But in the moment we have no idea. And so to me, emotional intelligence is simply understanding what's happening underneath the hood. And when we understand that, that gives us emotional resilience or emotional fitness, which is basically knowing that we're going to have peaks and valleys at moments, days, weeks, et cetera, et cetera. But first, understanding ourselves enough to know what's going on. And two, creating rituals and practices to turn uh, the emotions into something that actually pulls us closer to our vision, not further away. And then three, not being so damn hard on ourselves. Where do you think that that insight comes from? You know, I was watching uh, on Netflix the other day, comedians in cars getting coffee. I'm a Seinfeld fan. I love him. I think he's hysterical. Me and, too. Uh, he's so good. Um, and one of the things he said was, somebody, I don't know, he was having coffee with somebody. And they said, um, you know, where did you get the thought for that? And he says, I don't know where any of the thoughts come from. They just wander in, you know? So... Where do you think that the insight you're referring to comes from? Do you think it's just something that our unconscious just sort of reveals after a good night or two sleep or a week of, you know, processing? Or do you think it's something that you have to develop and work on? Specifically in the realm of like the emotional intelligence? When we were talking earlier, we were talking about integration and breakthroughs and insight. So just insight in general, where does that come from? Yeah, it's such, it's such a great question. And I, I, think, I think, Rob, it comes from a deeper part of ourselves. Um, and I know that sounds super esoteric, but the, the place where we find that, where we connect with that is when we have space. This is why people will get brilliant ideas in the shower or driving when they're kind of like in autopilot mode, in nature, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like we always, these, these insights are moments of gold, like pure gold. We get clarity on what to do. Maybe it's solving a problem with our coworker or our relationship. Maybe it's like what the next evolution of our purpose is. And we get these hints and these moments. And Rob, I'm like absolutely crazy with these because I will be driving. I will get one. I will go off the side of the road immediately. And I will leave myself a voice note because guess what? If I don't capture the essence of the insight in the moment, I will lose it. It's the law of diminishing intent. We get the clarity. We, we, we know what to do. It hits us like a problem we've been working on for two months or maybe a joke that we were writing or some creative outlet for me as a writer. And if we don't document it immediately, we might lose it forever. So to answer your question, the more space that we can have without forcing it, these insights will come up. Yeah, that's such a great answer. Let's let's get into the weeds a little bit on that because I'm I'm a little bit of a geek when it comes to um, strategies that people use because I think I think there's a lot of things um, that are reproducible in terms of uh, success and how people do it. So you mentioned that you'll you'll pull over the side of the road and you'll you'll make a recording when when an insight pops in. Are you using just sort of your like your voice recorder on your phone? 
I have 456 voice notes that I've left to myself. And they're all in those instances. I get the insight on the plane. I get the insight after a conversation. I might get an insight right after this podcast. And I'm literally, I'll make a note to make sure that I go do it as soon as we finish. So I just keep those all the time ready to go. And I use voice for a reason, Rob, because it conveys emotion. So if I just write it down on a Google Doc, yeah, I, I usually get the essence, but the voice conveys the emotion that I was feeling. And that's what makes things powerful. And what's your strategy to go back and listen to those things? Do you do it once a week, once a day, or how does, how does the, uh, the handling of the insight? Usually every single Sunday, I will do what I call a Sunday reflection. It is a 90-minute process where I break down my week. And that's when I go back take space, create the environment to allow the space to look back at those at those voice notes. And then I start to craft a game plan. What is this going to be? Is this going to be a Facebook Live I'm going to do? Is this a video? Is this a YouTube video? Is this a quick hit podcast episode? Um, and that's how I uh, integrate them into my content and, and business and stuff. What else do you do during that 90-minute uh, reflection? It's, it's my most powerful part of my entire week. And obviously, besides the daily habits, the most powerful thing that I do. And so number one is that I celebrate my biggest win where I kicked ass and I shower myself with appreciation and love. And then I extract a lesson in terms of how I made that happen. On the flip side, I look at my biggest challenge and I look at how I responded. What rituals and habits and mindsets did I use to try to come up with a solution for that? And then I come up with a lesson from that. What is the gift that I was given? And then for me, I'm, I gamify the whole thing. So I look at my habits, my daily habits. I see what my one thing for the week was. Did I hit that? Did I not hit that? Um, and then underneath that, I have four components of the one thing. And, uh, and once I do my reflection, I look at the new commitments for the upcoming week. What am I specifically doing uh, in my relationship this week? I'm going on date night. Okay, great. Where? When? Do you have to book something? What are you going to do to get Taylor excited about it and get her in a place where she's you know, very uh, pumped about it? And all of this stuff. And so I go through the quadrants of my life. And then lastly, I, I do the, uh, the brain dump. For entrepreneurs, if you don't do this, you have to do this. I literally write down everything I could do in the upcoming week. And Rob, my list are three to four pages of Google Docs every single week. And I'm talking anything. Email podcast, scheduling, you name it. And I look at it and it gives me massive clarity going into the week just by doing the brain dump. But secondly, and I learned this from our mutual friend, Michael Zeller, some parts of this, is that I delete a bunch of it. I delegate a bunch of it. But then I also highlight the three to four top action steps for the upcoming week that are truly going to move the needle forward. And that is the, that, those become my principles and my guiding force for the next upcoming week. Gamify it just using a system and my the system that I use is just six daily habits and um and I track those on Wufu uh for myself and some of my clients and it's uh every single day gratitude, meditation, encouragement, physical training, read a business book and then uh, read a business text, you know, something, and then a one purposeful action in my business. And that becomes my daily six. So out of any given week, I have 42 possible points that I can give myself. Uh, and yes, I do it Saturdays and Sundays as well, although a simplified version on Sundays. Um, but this allows me to see, hey, you know, I, I experience a challenge. We're going to experience a challenge every week. What was my level of personal power and clarity for that week? Did I hit a 30? Well, th- that could be a 
big reason why I experienced that challenge or didn't have the capacity to overcome that challenge. So I think tracking is massive, even with simple things like our habits and routines, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So lots of people look at what they want to do and maybe even why they want to do it. But very few people consider the where. And you and I have been kind of dancing around a little bit when we talked about New York and uh, where you are now in Arizona. So in other words, effectively their environment. How do you coach people on selecting where they live and what their physical environment should look like to best support them? This is so huge, Rob, and I love that you asked the question and also you think the same. And this, to me, this is the most underrated, unspoken part of personal development, success, entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. Um, but really crafting a life on fire is our environment because our environment, as I say on my show, becomes our anchor for stagnation or our catalyst for transformation. And so I start out with people by taking inventory. I want to see, take inventory of your home life, where you live, your state, the coffee shops that you go to, make it just a running list. And on one side, you're going to have the places that give you energy, that make you think bolder, that make you think bigger, that you're maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but in a good way. And then we're going to make a list of the ones that drain your energy. We all have these places that drain our energy, maybe the gym that we go to or our office, whatever it may be. And, uh, and then to have people take a step back. And then we look at, at their environment. And we take inventory and we say, okay, is this serving where you said you want to go? Is this serving what I call the North Star vision? And if the answer is yes, awesome. Let's double down on this one. How can we spend more time with these people in these places? And if the answer is no, then we have a decision to make. So when you went through that process, is that what led you to Arizona? 100%. So it started with an insight as we spoke earlier, because I was obsessed with creating space. One of the ways that I create space is by sensory deprivation flow tanks. And so luckily enough, I had a client who, uh, for my, my fitness business, who owned and operated a flow tank center. So we just did a little trade. I usually don't do trades, but this was a, a perfect trade for me because he's like, hey, you can come unlimited and then, yeah, and then I'll give you the unlimited membership. And it was perfect. And so I started to create space in the flow tank. And Rob, I started to get these insights that said, your time's up. You got to go. It's over. You got to go somewhere new. And honestly, man, like early on, I said, like, what the hell is happening here? Why am I getting these insights? Like, I got my business, my family's here. This is what I've known. I don't know anyone out West at all. And in those float tanks, I started to get a vision and the vision started to pull me to Arizona. And I started to look at my current environment and I said, is this place going to push me to grow at the highest possible capacity for what I'm looking to create in my vision? And the answer was no. And I knew it deep within me. And that's what started to create the process that led me to, to come to a place where I hadn't met anybody out here, didn't know anybody, had only been here once for a seminar. And I can look back and say it was the best decision in my life. Was there, I know that you had insight that drove you out there, but looking back on that insight now, was there something that you're like, okay, this is why I got that insight because I love to look at the rocks or because I love desert or what, what was it now that you're there looking back, you know, hindsight is always 2020, but is there, you know, is there a way that you sort of look at it differently now that you're there? Yeah. And I, you know, I always tell people, go to your inspiration. And to me, it's just going back to what we've talked about. Like I needed space. I know you're, you're from back East and 
there's no space. Like there, like there, uh, there was no amount of meditation that I can do in Manhattan that would center me. It just, it just didn't happen. And for some people, that's their inspiration. I think that's unbelievable. But really what I needed was space. And yes, I'm inspired by the mountains and I'm inspired by having Sedona, which is a great spiritual place here nearby. All of that stuff is fantastic. But really what I was looking for was one thing in my life, was space. Because I'm naturally intense. I'm naturally a go-getter. I do a lot. Some days I wake up at 2 a.m. I knew I would burn out if I didn't have space. I knew that I would miss out on the fulfillment and the meaning of life, which is why you and I are here if I stayed in the other environment. How do you find space in your life now? You mentioned flotation device. You mentioned living in a, you know, in a, a place that physically offers more space. But what sort of habits or rituals do you put in your life to provide the space? Is it meditation? Tell me what it is that you're doing right now that you think, you know, is essential to make sure that that we have space. You know, if I if I do a 10-minute meditation using my Calm app, that gives me space and it, like I feel so much better just just 10 minutes. Have you do you have any tips or tricks on that? The number one and people aren't going to like it cuz it's it's so simple, but the number one thing is and where I start people is hey, your first hour of your day airplane mode. And I know it sounds so simple, but like this is huge, Rob. Like we're like it it just boggles my mind that we allow ourselves to wake up and be pulled with high levels of stress that lead to physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual stress just to start out our day. And you and I know how we start our day determines in large part what kind of quality of day that we're gonna have. So that would be like the most practical basic thing ever. I'm a massive nerd of meditation. I do it twice a day, up to 60 to 90 minutes. The flow tank once a week is absolutely essential for me. Like I said before, go to your inspiration. Go to places that open you up. And for me, that's the mountains. For me, that's nature. For me, that's hiking. And I've had some of my biggest downloads, my biggest insights, my biggest creations when it's just me on the mountain and I'm pushing my body to the max and I'm looking around and I'm surrounded by nature and by beauty. And so when we can create pockets of space and maybe for somebody listening, your version of space is putting a timer on your phone and walking, you know, putting, leaving the phone in the office, going down the stairs, doing two circles around your building and then coming back. So it doesn't have to be this crazy thing. You don't have to come hike with me or anything. But just start to put in more buffers of space in your life because the ROI on that, on presence, on space is priceless. No, that's really good. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I started doing, it's funny you mentioned that, I started putting my phone on airplane mode at night before I go to sleep and I'm not allowed to turn it on, allowed in quotes, to turn it on until after I finish my workout uh, in the gym in the morning. I must tell you that I was like a freaking heroin addict trying. <laughs> I, I, I literally have my finger on the toggle switch. You know, I started this 15 times. Now it's flipped. Now I actually am looking forward to it. And the moment I turn it on, of course, it blows up. But, you know, to have the morning to be able to have you know, coffee, conversation with the wife, stretch, go to the gym, work out, clear my head, set the intention, come up with, you know, two or three actions I want to, bigger actions I want to take for the day. I feel like I won the day by the time I turn the damn thing on. When I do it reversed, 
I feel like I lost. A hundred percent. And I love that you're doing that. And then people tell me, hey, so, okay, awesome. I'm not going to turn my phone on until I go to the gym. And then they say, well, well I got to use Spotify. So you can figure that out. You can download a playlist. You can have internal music. You don't need to go on airplane mode. And your story is so powerful because yes, we're addicted to stimulus, but you could also be addicted to presence and focus. But you can break the pattern. You can become addicted to exactly what you're talking about. Starting the day on your terms presence, looking your partner in the eye and having a real conversation instead of having, you know, half of your head in a Instagram DM or a email that you got. And that, that just by itself, you start your day with that level of clarity for yourself, the game changes for you. Totally. All right. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about, you've written two books now. Um, I'm not sure which one came first, but I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Actually, I just want to have one main question for each book. So um, you wrote a book called The Unresolution, and um, I'd like to talk about goal setting through the lens of New Year's resolutions. You know, you would think New Year's resolutions would work, right? People take the time uh, to write down their goals, they get excited, but this almost always falls flat. Why do you think that is? Yeah, and that's the premise of the book, right? A calendar digit does nothing to create change. Nothing, an eight to a nine, a nine to a zero, zero to a one. And so the biggest, the biggest issue uh, that I see with people, and this is 92% of resolutions go nowhere, uh, which is just a horrible statistic, is that they set half-hearted goals. They set half-hearted intentions. They're interested in things, but they're not actually committed. And here's, here's the biggest gap that I expose in the book is that people expect a level 10. They expect a level 10 resolution. Hey, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life this year. I'm finally going to launch my business. I'm going to make my first 100K, whatever it may be. And so that's a level 10 expectation, usually given the current reality. Yet when we look at their commitments, we see a level two. Okay, you're training twice a week. Awesome. You're going live on Facebook once a week to promote your brand and message. Okay, cool. So that's a level two commitment. So we have two options at that point. We either lower our expectations, we go from level 10 to level two, and now we've got some alignments. Or what I coach people to do is to level up their commitments, to take that from a level two to a level 10. Now we have to do this strategically because change is hard. A lot of people like to want to change 19 habits at once, and you and I know how that goes. From 99%, it won't work. So the biggest issue with resolutions is the commitment to expectation gap and also um, because most people set a 2018 resolution, one year is a long time in our minds. Like it's very far out there. And so it's not close enough to bring urgency every single day. And so what I teach people in the book to do is, okay, awesome, set the one-year vision, but we're going to take that and we're going to bring it down to the first 90 days when we're not only going to stop at the first 90, we're going to bring it down to the first 30 days. Because when you bring big audacious visions to the first 30 days, if you don't do something today, your chances are much higher that it's not going to happen. And that's kind of the the premise of unresolution. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about your other book, which is 1% Better Every Day. How do you coach people who are looking to level up their life 1% better every day? What's the premise of that book? This one was born out of having so many conversations with people who, again, would set these big audacious outcomes and they would just throw in the towel way too soon, Rob. Like three feet from goal, five five yards from a touchdown, they would just give up and give in. Now, what I found is what I talked about earlier is that too often we just place our self-esteem and who we believe ourselves to be our identity around an outcome, an outcome that we don't currently have. 
And so really the main premise of the 1% rule is to give people their power back and, and allow them to celebrate moving the needle forward 1% every day. Because if we can do this, and I broke down the science in the book, the math, if we do it every single day, at the minimum, we'll experience 3.65x results. That's pretty damn good. If, if you told me a year from now, my body is going to be 3.65x better, I'll take that. But that's only incremental growth. And when you're on an incremental growth curve and you go and start to get exponential, you can't see that. It looks flat. You can't see, you can't predict when it's going to happen. And so if you harness the power of exponential growth, that becomes 37x. So you're telling me somewhere between 3 and 37x if I am consistent every single day. I'll take those, I'll take those any day of the week. And it allows people to rid themselves of the pressure. I need to, I need to make 20K this quarter, uh, even though this is my first funnel, right? Like that's, a, that's an insane amount of pressure. And the whole book was designed to release that pressure in a way that's systematic and you know exactly what to do every single day. Yeah, just stack it over 365 days versus trying to overchunk it. Exactly. And you and I know that within that process, we actually change who we are. And that becomes a beautiful, beautiful process. It's also a better lasting change because it's more integrated. Absolutely. So what do you do? And I'm sure that you get this because I, I literally got this from a buddy of mine this morning. It's, it's funny. He's, he started listening to my podcast and he said, dude, you have inspired me, but you've inspired me in a really shitty way because now I don't like what I'm doing anymore. And I've realized that I'm so much more awesome. than this. And I, yeah, right. And I was like, well, that's great. <laughs> let's, you know, let's kind of go, let's kind of go through the process, but he's stuck. And he says, you know, man, I just, I thought this is what I wanted to do. He's working a corporate gig, but I just am realizing there's so much more out there. There's so much more of me, but I don't even know where to begin. I'm sure you get questions like that where people say, I know I want something. I just don't know what it is. What advice do you give them? Something like that, I think it's beautiful because I call it don't waste uh, your pain or don't waste your insight, basically, which is like, man, things could be so much better. And I, I say, awesome, face that, look at it in the mirror. And I actually have clients look at themselves in the mirror and ask themselves some questions that we tend to avoid. And so the first, and it can be overwhelming at the same time, which is exactly what you're talking about. And so for me personally, for somebody like that, what I would do is to break their environment, get them out of their current environment because our environment is a reminder of who we've been, not who we're becoming and can keep us really, really stuck. And so I would break that person's environment and I would get them in a place where they allow themselves, maybe for the first time in a very long time, to open up and crack open the door of possibility. And the only way that we can do this in an authentic and deeply way that matters to us, Rob, is that we must put ourselves in a powerful emotional state. And when I say powerful emotional state, it means there has to be a deeply rooted why. And so I will take people through a process and I work with a lot of men and we will do this and they will not open up the floodgates. And so we will do it again and we will do it again and we'll do it again and we will do it as many times as it takes for them to get in a place where they're emotional, for them to get in a place where it matters. And that's the place where we unlock a possibility, a vision, like a real vision, because everybody talks about vision. But if we don't, marry that to the emotional piece, then there's nothing. And so you combine the, the pain, let's just say, of where we are today, our current circumstances, 
we combine that, we amplify that, and then we look at the vision, what's possible, those are two such intense emotional places that we can start moving forward and take the first couple steps. What happens is people skip those two steps and then everything's kind of half-hearted because you don't have a lot of urgency because right now you haven't really amplified what's happening in your life and how it's affecting you or you also haven't unlocked a, a vision that's possible for you. Do you think that deep down, they really know what it is that they want to go after. And for whatever the reason is, they're just not allowing it to happen because they don't believe it can happen or because they haven't exercised the muscle. Talk to me about that a little bit. A hundred percent. I'm personally a hundred percent confident that I can take anybody and they can tell me, oh, I don't know what I want. I, I don't know where I'm going. I have no idea of a vision. This vision talk is BS. You and Rob are just whatever. And if I got them in a place of presence, if I got them in a place of power, if I got them in a place where their environment no longer reminded them of who they've been, but who they really are, that's when the answers start coming to light. That's when the honesty starts coming to light. And and the biggest issue is that we're not deeply and authentically honest with ourselves. We're not deeply and authentically honest with where we are today and how that's affecting us. Why do you think that is? Because it it can be painful, Rob. (laughs) It can be super painful. And that's why I tell people, don't waste your pain. If you have an area of your life that is triggering you every single day and causing you emotional drama, emotional intensity, like I say good. I say good because what if it was two notches lower and that wasn't enough for you to make a new committed decision, right? And so I just call it the looking in the mirror moment. And this is the biggest thing coaches and consultants will skip over. They will talk about the vision. Why? Because it's sexy. Going to UPW and doing the dance party and talking about what's possible, like that will sell. What won't sell is looking in front of the mirror and taking a deep, authentic inventory. Where am I in my physicality? That's when I, I coach clients. You take your shirt off, you look in the mirror for five minutes and you report back what you saw. Where am I in my marriage? What is the level of connection? What is the level of intimacy in the marriage? If I if I took your significant other and I sat, sat them down and I asked them some questions, what kind of feedback would they give me? Same thing with your kids, et cetera, et cetera. And so we take inventory of where we are. And, and here's the key, Rob. You don't do this from a place of self-judgment because most people will look at the stuff that isn't working in their life and what are they going to say? I'm not good enough. I can never make it happen. This is proof why I can never move on. And so I allow people to give themselves permission to take a hard look in the mirror and use it as a place of power, not self-judgment. And that's that's the place where you actually get clear maybe for the first time and commit to a new, a new reality that you thought was unavailable. Well, look, we got to start with the truth, right? We're, we're constantly bullshitting ourselves about where we are and it's not, it's not that bad, but we have to, you're right. What you just said about take your shirt off, look in the mirror, you, you got to start somewhere. If you want to, if you want to see the six pack, you got to see that you don't have one right now. I know. Yeah. One of my clients the other day, he's like, man, I hate looking at my bank account. And I said, awesome, guess what you're going to do for the next 30 days? (laughs) Yeah, you're going to look at that thing three times a day. Why? Because I want you to feel that. It's not saying anything about who you are as a person. It's just a circumstance, but you also have the power to change it. But what do we do? I did the same thing in business, Rob, with my fitness business. I I would tell myself, hey, I'm not a numbers guy. Not a numbers guy. Now, why? Because I never liked spreadsheets. I was horrible at math, et cetera, et cetera. And so I would tell myself this narrative. I'm not a numbers guy. And what was the narrative trying to not expose? 
It was try not to expose the truth of the business. And honestly, if I had an amazing month, I wouldn't look at the numbers because I didn't want to get too high. And if I had a bad month, I didn't want to get too low. But what I was avoiding was looking in the mirror because if I don't have facts about where I am today, then I can't build anything of value. That's really good. It's a little bit, it's, it's like an avoidance. You, this way you don't have to go too high or too low. That's, I, I, think, uh, I, I think that's a true statement. I like that. It's beautiful. I try to coach people like if we can get people to a place and I'm, I'm there and I, it's, it's, finances are a great judgment of this, right? Like to, to release the, and I know you had Chris Harder on the episode who's awesome, to release the emotions behind money because it's just energy, right? So I, I coach people like, okay, if the bank account is low, Awesome. Use that to create change. And if the bank account is high, awesome. Use that to teach you what you've done to get there. But let's release the emotions. Let's release the emotions from it. Right? I'm not going to let a digit in a bank account or on a check or from a client dictate how I feel about who I am. And so you're absolutely right about, about uh, the truth. And again, this is the, the space where most will skip. And if anybody listening, if this connected with you, spend time in here and watch you 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 get back to us and you let us know what the power of spending some time in there is for you yeah i love that you know even just the people that you're around like i spent the weekend with uh, chris and lori uh harder uh in los angeles and uh they just i mean they will they will take your vibration up through the roof we all have mentors and teachers and coaches in life that just appear at the right times for the right reasons and my first original mentor was uh, this guy named dr john Martini. he's based out of houston texas travels all over the world and another mentor came into my life and his name was garrett white one day i just saw a video on facebook this was years ago, 2013, I watched about four minutes of a video and uh, I said, I got to go see this guy. And at that point, I'd been training like my intuition and, and all of this stuff. And it's like, I know I had to be there. And he was out in California. I literally didn't see any of the other opt-in videos. I didn't see anything else. I just knew for those four minutes, he spoke to something deeper inside of me. And so I went out there. And the, and the, the Wake Up Warrior movement, the reason why it's, it's powerful and why I've been involved in it and is an honor to speak there was because we go to a lot of these events and these masterminds and they're very one-dimensional. We'll go to a mastermind, it'll be a business conversation. We'll go to another thing, it'll be relationship-based. And for the first time, somebody put it all together. Now, other people will talk about putting it together, but there's no system behind it. Garrett, another one of my mentors, he just put it all together for me. And I remember the first time I went out there, literally had no idea who this guy was. I remember being on the plane, I'm like, I had that logical moment where I'm like, um, hmm, I have no idea what this guy is. I have no idea what we're about to do. And uh, I'm traveling uh, across the country. Okay, this is this is super interesting. Then I remember uh, it was day number one. We walk into the beach and my intuition said, you're going to be called on first. It was like me and eight guys, right? All male entrepreneurs, et cetera, et cetera. And he looks at me and he says, why are you here? And I was my, like, my stomach dropped because I just knew I was going to be called on and I didn't know if I was ready for this question. And so I gave like a prepackaged answer, something to the tune of, I'm here to create impact, change the world, something that sounded really nice on like a little Hallmark card, right? And he says, that's BS, try again. And I was like, damn. And it was a powerful moment of being challenged and being able to challenge the words that were coming out of my mouth. And we went through this process. And ultimately, the why, why I was there was to create the biggest impact for the man in the mirror, myself because that's the only way we can actually do what was my original thing. So long story short, it's a powerful training. It's not for the faint of heart. It's probably the most intense 
system, the most intense breakthrough type style training uh, on the planet. And I've done a lot, but it's a very holistic system and it's rooted in truth. And when you find truth, what we were talking about earlier, that's when you can find clarity. And when you can find clarity, you can find power. So does he do like a yearly event? Is that how it works? They do these and it's always, I have massive amounts of respect for him because he will take something that is working and on fire with his business and he will pivot at multiple times. So it's always changing. The current iteration is you go for a something that they call the Warrior Week, which is a five-day experience. Very, very, very intense experience. And then on the back end of that, you go into like a year-long training as well. And intermittently, they'll have events um, also throughout the year. Really, really interesting stuff. Are there any particular struggles that you're currently facing or behaviors that you're personally trying to change that you're willing to share with people? One of them, and I was talking, I was on a, one, on a hike with a, with a buddy of mine here recently, and um, I find it very hard to, so as much as I, so I, I'm great at focus and achievement and crushing projects and goals, that's any day. Secondly, I'm great at strategic space disconnects, floating, meditation, do this, do that, go to that retreat, go to Sedona for three days and disappear from the planet. I'm great at those. You know what I'm really bad at? Just the time in between. The time where I'm not strategically spacing out. And that's something I'm consistently working on, just allowing myself to just be without wanting to go do more. It's like the moments where you're like, I'm, I'm home and I'm hanging out and my mind says, go check your email go do another post. And it's this kind of like scarcity of always wanting to do more because if I'm not doing, then who am I? And if I'm not strategically disconnected, who am I? So that for me is the constant quote unquote challenge that I'm experiencing right now. Yeah, I think a lot of us experience that. The The Italians, that's why I love to go to Italy. They, they've got words for this stuff and there's an expression that they have. It's called la dolce faniente. And the translation means the art of doing nothing. And they view doing nothing as an art and as a necessary way to create space. So I love that. And that's, be- and that's the power of these going to different cultures and seeing, hey, there's another way. And there's actually so much that I can learn from doing nothing. So that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gears. We're going to move into the play hard uh, section of the show. The show is work hard, play hard. So let's talk play hard. And just for clarification, play hard means different things to different people. I have a simple definition, and it's just any area outside of our work in very much true warrior way spirit where we're not just one dimension. We are four dimensions, body, being, balance, and business, and they're all related to each other. That's kind of what the angle is on this. So my first question is, if you had a magic wand, describe for me in detail what play hard would look like to you. I love it. Love the play hard. So for me, what comes to mind with the magic wand question is immersing myself in 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 a live music show where I just I'm able to lose myself. It's one of my favorite things to do. Where you're just present, you're watching the artist. You're out. I'd be in the Red Rocks venue in Colorado. Uh, I'd be there with Taylor, and like that would be those type of things to me is where I I lose myself and I'm present, and it's, it's powerful creative energy for me. 
And is that directly related to your love of indie emo? And I have, if the answer is yes, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> the answer is yes, but I love all types of creative expression through music. It's, it's one of my passions. And, uh, and so anything, I, I feel there's such presence in that. And so that, that's where I would be. That's where I would be if I had a magic wand. What's the one thing now that's rocking your world that has nothing to do with work? Ooh, I love that. And to be honest, it's, uh, it's my relationship. I just uh, feel so connected at a soul level in my relationship. And uh, it's just been such a beautiful journey and ride uh, to grow together when you're with somebody who you can just let your guard down and feel a deep-rooted alignment. As a, as a producer in business, there's no greater asset because that part of your mind, that part of your life is taken care of. And not only taken care of, it's like you're excited to do it. You're excited to come back into it. You're excited for all of it, even the challenges that come with it. Because for me, relationships are the MMA training spot of the self-development stuff. You and I can talk about all of these principles, but when we're knee-deep in a conflict or an argument in a relationship or we're pushed to our edges, that's when we find out if this stuff is actually working. And so for me, it's like that, like my relationship with Taylor, it's so powerful and we're so much in alignment. And for a while, I didn't know if that was actually available to me. I didn't know if that was something that was just made up or people just talked about, but wasn't really true. And now I get to experience it every day. So beautiful. What is the thing that your soul has been really calling you to do, but for whatever reason, you just haven't pulled the trigger on it? I love that. So the biggest thing that comes up for me is to host my own live event. And uh, I was out in Sedona recently and I kept getting this download that it's time for me to host my own live event. Now, I've done small things here locally, uh, but never really planted my flag and, uh, and marketed and brought people and a lot of my stuff is virtual, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, that's the biggest thing. And I actually committed to Michael Zeller to make that happen. And so now that the book is done, uh, that's, that's my focus because I know it makes me uncomfortable. I know there's a lot involved with it, which means I have to step into it. Well, we'll talk about that offline because I'm in the process of doing a work hard, play hard event as well. So we'll talk about that. Beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah, I got some great ideas. So what is on your vision board if you have one? We do. So Taylor and I, we do one a couple times a year. And on New Year's Eve, we did one this year. And so we did a couple's vision board for what we want to experience this year, and then a solo vision board. And so when you look at my vision board, you see a, uh, a landscape of uh, my favorite city uh, in Spain, which is uh, San Sebastian, uh, which I'll be going there. I, I, set that, mm, I set that on my vision that. board and I booked it two weeks ago. That's the foodie, right? Yeah. Um, in, case, uh, in case I forget to tell you this, um, watch Anthony Bourdain in San Sebastian. Ooh, that's awesome. Will blow your mind. <laughs> like you, you will, you'll change the date on your trip and just go like right now. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm so excited that you're doing that. That's great. Well, it's the power of like, and again, even just to, to, to live my own principles, like for a while there, I was like, ah, it's not the right time. We have this going on. I have this going on. And it's like, when you have a vision and then you make a committed decision, it becomes the perfect time. And so that's on there. There's a New York Times bestseller on there. And so Obviously, I've written two books. I committed last year to myself to write 10 books in 10 years. One of those will be a New York Times bestseller. So that's why I put that on there. Uh, there's pictures of uh, obviously powerful relationship with Taylor and, and we're moving into a, a deeper commitment this year, which is super, super powerful for us. And so these are kind of the things on my vision board. And, and the biggest thing with vision boards that I tell people, it's like, make sure 
that you're living that vision in some shape or form every single day. Like, yeah, of course, you're going to put stuff on there that you might not currently be experiencing, but there are parts of that that you're experiencing. So for example, there's a picture of this guy on stage and he's inspiring people. And so through my podcast, through my programs, I am already doing that. Am I doing it at the capacity of the picture? No, that's not the point. The point is that the feelings and some of the behaviors inside of that vision, I'm cultivating every day to bring that to life. I love it. What one product do you use that is clearly an indulgence, meaning you probably spend too much for it, but when you use it, it just makes you feel so good. An example of this is my friend Darren imports his shaving cream from Japan because it just makes him feel good. He gets his soap from London because he loves the smell of this particular thing. It could also be a service. Is there anything that comes to mind in that realm? Absolutely. So it is definitely a service for me and I get more massages than anyone I know. It's bad and really, really bad. And so <laughs> that is my highest indulgence. And uh, again, it's it's tied to creating space. Um, but if I showed people my monthly budget on massages, they think I was out of my mind. Well, it's also a really good way to uh, to create space because you get a lot of thinking time. The only problem is you probably look really weird, like pulling your phone out and talking into your voice recorder. <laughs> when the, uh, the hey, you can't, you can't mess with those shit. insights. <laughs> so, what's the one thing that you've implemented in your life that has helped you look better, feel better, or be healthier? Any of those categories? Like when, like when I do this, man my skin is better. Or when I do this, I just, I look better. Like, you know, you buy a new outfit or something. Is there anything like your go-to that helps your lifestyle? The meditation practice. And I know it's, it sounds kind of weird, but it just slows. I'm just, I'm so wired to go and it allows me to just be present. And when I'm present, it's all energy anyways, like looking better, feeling better. All of that stuff is just energy. It's presence, right? And so when I'm dialed in on that, I know that no matter what I wear, even if it might not be the best outfit, I will come in with a different energy. And that for me is, is absolutely everything. Oh yeah, for sure. If you had all the time and the money in the world uh, to pursue a hobby or a recreational activity, what would it be and why? I would say the first thing that came to mind with this question was uh, a surfing practice. Now I'm in Arizona, so that can be uh, quite challenging. Challenge, yeah. <laughs> but I would definitely live somewhere with access to that because I find surfing to be the most the most brilliant combination of physical and kind of emotional, mental uh, connection, mind, body, and spirit. You know, you're in the ocean, you're getting the nutrients from the ocean, you're getting the space. I mean, to me, it's just a beautiful thing. And uh, I do surf, but I'm not very good because I don't practice enough because of, of where I live. But that's that's on the vision board. So we're going to make that happen. Awesome. Well, when you move to California, I, it's on mine as well. We'll surf together. Done. <laughs> um, I just interviewed Lori Harder and she said she is picking it back up. So maybe the three of us will all go surfing. She's also learning guitar, which I am as well. So maybe we can do a little surf and then a little guitar wind down. Uh, you know what? We'll get a bonfire going. Why not? <laughs> I'm not singing, but you guys can take it over. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's not going to happen either. <laughs> so let's move into the social media uh, round of questions. And I put a tweet out and I uh, got a few responses of some things that people wanted to ask you. And I'll tell you what they are. Billy wants to know, what's the biggest challenge you've had growing your business and your relationship simultaneously? Yeah, it's such a great question. And to me, it's like, Traditionally, we we split things into boxes, and uh, because of things like Warriors Win and all of the other stuff, it's like 
when things are integrated, they grow together. And what I mean by that is just, um, you know, for me, growing my business and the skills associated with growing my business are the same skills that that are going to grow my relationship, communication, holding space, being present. Obviously, you know, there's stuff that's like scheduling content, but scheduling content, I'm going to schedule date nights. I'm going to make fast decisions when I get an insight that, hey, we're going to go out of town this week and just do it and just do it because I got the insight and make it happen. So to me, if you live an integrated experience, you can make both grow at the same time. It's not a zero sum. You take one energy from out of the other, et cetera, et cetera. My relationship fuels my business. My business actually fuels my relationship. Love it. They're connected. Jack wants to know, how do you deal with nerves when you have to do public speaking? Oh, I love it. So what I do is that I allow myself to feel the nerves. I will go into a dark room and I will turn the light off and I will breathe through it. And I'll ask myself, what is this? And so I did this at an event last June. I've done it a couple of times since. Sometimes I'll do it when I have bigger interviews. And you'll, to me, it's like if you're not slightly have a little bit of butterflies, whatever you want to call it, then it's probably not something that's stretching your capacity. And so I see it as a great thing, but I also allow myself to feel it and I breathe through it and then I reframe it. And I understand that it's not necessarily a fear. It is just a feedback mechanism that is saying, hey, Tommy, you're about to grow a little bit. Love it. You're about to be pushed to your capacity. You used to speak to 30 people. Now you're speaking to 300 this is now it's time to step into who you say you're becoming. And then when you do that, it kind of, you get on stage and you're like, whoa, I feel really good right now. The last social media question is from Nina. She wants to know if you left Arizona, where would you most likely live? All over the world or the country? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anywhere you want. Ooh, probably the one place just for to balance everything would be uh, a place like Costa Rica because uh, we got the ocean, we got the balance, we got Tico time, which means everything is so slowed down, uh, which would probably be good for me. Um, but that would be the first one that comes to mind. Why is it called Tico time? Tico time is just, uh, hey, we'll be done in 15 minutes, but that means an hour and a half. Um, so it just but means... Why Tico? Ticos are, uh, they call each other Ticos. Costa Ricans are Ticos. So they have a newspaper down there called Tico Times, et cetera, et cetera. And so Tico Time just means, hey, you ordered a coffee. Oh, yeah, I'll take 45 minutes. And uh, life is amazing. You know, a lot of countries outside of the U.S. have the same same thing. We, we go to Greece every summer. It's Greek time. We go to Italy. It's, it's Italian Which time. Is nice. you know what I mean? It's nice to see that contrast. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move into, we're going to wrap up and move into the last section of the show, which is the rapid fire rounds. Uh, feel uh, free to answer as quickly or as slowly as you like. What would your friends say your superpower is? They'd say passion is my number one superpower. What's the one thing you're afraid of right now? Honestly, just missing this moment and being out of the present and being consumed and trying to be in two places at once instead of fully being here. What did you believe to be true that you found out you were wrong about? Yeah, I used to think that reality wasn't negotiable, that uh, you had to be placed in certain boxes. Um, And I found that 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 wasn't true and that you can create your own reality. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? What's the biggest lesson that you learned from growing up in Colombia, which you asked? So great work, my good. (laughs) Okay, good. And I didn't even know that that was a thing. Okay, cool. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Consistently to me, it's presence and speaking from the heart. That's like the number one thing. Because when we do that, we create deep connections with every, every, not only with ourselves, but everyone around uh, us on a daily basis. So true. As men, we just stay in our heads. I know. It's, it's, it's a fight, man, but it's a skill and uh, we can get better every single day. 
What's the one thing you own and probably should throw out but never will? I would say, honestly, (laughs) is the television. And uh, I don't watch much of it, but it's still there and it still consumes space. And so when we move into our new place here in the the fall, um, we're going to go TV less. Ooh. Wow. (laughs) A hush comes over the crowd. How are Uh you going to survive? Without Breaking Bad, or I don't even know. I always use the same shows because I don't know what the hot show is. But yeah, I know it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, and you know what? Your life is going to be better. What's the one app on your phone that you cannot live without? Yeah, I would say Insight Timer. It's a meditation app and specifically a set of meditations by Sarah Blondin. Check those out. She will speak to your heart in a way that centers you and grounds you no, much, no matter how much intensity and chaos and struggle is happening in your life. Insight Timer, huh? Okay, cool. And what, what was her name one more time? Sarah Blondin. Sarah Beautiful, Blondin. soothing voice. It will just take you to another level, but they have a bunch of free meditations on there. And it's, it's good to switch it up and try new things. Try a guided one. Try something that's just space. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, variance helps people to, to stick with it and, and find new, new things that help. Yeah, variety is the king. Um, okay, last question. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you want to do or anything that you have a passion for or anything else at all, anything else at all, what would it be? Love that. So powerful. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind would be to tell people that their journey, their fingerprint-specific journey, their unique journey uh, is the win. That is the outcome. That's what we're looking for. And I would combine, um, I just have a deep obsession, nerdiness for Joseph Campbell. And I would just use that to hopefully spark some hearts and minds and allow people to enjoy what's in front of them right now. Well, I have something super exciting for you uh, when you mentioned Joseph Campbell. And it's good because you haven't given your TV up yet. Um, but if you go to iTunes TV, Uh, and you look at the top 10 TV shows, there's a brand new uh, series with Bill Moyers and Joseph Campbell uh, discussing. It's a 10-part series discussing The Hero's Way. It actually made its its way to number five on iTunes. It was launched this week. So you got to go check it out. That's unbelievable, and I, am I knew all you'd like over, that. And it just reminded me of a document. There's uh, a documentary called Finding Joe. That's also a really good one. But this one, I'm going to check out. All right, you got it. Well, what a perfect way to end this. Um, the time absolutely flew by. I cannot believe uh, how much we've covered in this time. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Yeah, the final words are are pretty simple. If you listen to this and you listen to Rob's awesome show, he's such a natural podcaster, right, guys? Yeah, I would say we're going to get a lot of tactics and you're going to get a lot of stuff that you can implement today. Um, But many times, those tactics won't work if we don't allow ourselves the space and the presence. And so what I said was, yeah, use the tactics, but do as much as you can to connect to a deeper part of you, to connect with your heart, to connect to the side of ourselves that many times we don't let out. And watch what that does when you actually use the tactics. Because we're in a world starving for connection. And when you connect with yourself, then when you have a conversation with somebody, even if it's a transactional one or what may seem like one at the grocery store, at the bank, whatever it is, you connect. And when you connect, you're remembered. And you remember that's when you create your legacy. That's what I would tell people. 
freaking love it. Thank you so much for taking the time with us, Tom. Anytime. You are a rock star, man. You are a natural podcaster, and I'm so excited to continue to support your work hard, play hard mission. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.